hope everybody's doing well. I had a rather invigorating morning this morning. Our hot water heater is on the fritz. And, um, you know, I called the guy this week, and he said, well, I can't get there until next week, till Tuesday. And I was like, oh. But he said, you can still run it. You just have to shut it off, you know, shut the water off to it. It was just leaking real bad and everything. And uh, so we've been able to run it up until this morning. So I got up, and I did my run. You know, I'm on the treadmill, and I'm hitting it, sweating like crazy. And I'm, like, looking forward to that hot shower, and I get in there, ice cold, ice cold. You ever have, like, ice cold water hitting you in the back of the head? Oh, my gosh, it felt like somebody was hitting me with bricks or something. It was horrible. But praise God, right? (laughs) I didn't lose my joy over it. Uh, But this morning we are um, in the third week of Advent. We're going to talk about joy today. Um, We've talked about Advent, meaning this word coming or arrival. And we celebrate God's arrival in flesh in Jesus Christ, born in a manger over 2,000 years ago. But we look forward to his second coming where he won't come as a lamb, but he'll come as a lion. And he will make all things new. And the truth be told, you will know when he's coming. You'll know. It will be unmistakably him. And so at Advent, we celebrate his coming then, and we look forward to his coming in the future, which could be today. None of us know. And then we celebrate all the little mini Advents in between. Because God is with us today. And he longs for you to know how much He loves you, because love always comes close. So I want you to know something, that God is closer than you can imagine right now. He's closer that you may be even comfortable with, because there may be areas of your life that you don't want to deal with him, and and he's right here with you. He is your best friend. He's the lover of your soul. He's a trusted guide, and he is your Lord. He's your Lord. Now, that word doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody. How many, how many women in here call their husband Lord? I would just love it one day if Tracy would say, Lord Jeff, wouldn't that be nice? Lord, oh, Lord Jeff. And I would say, my lady Tracy. But that was from feudal systems, right? Feudal systems are when we called lords and ladies, and a lord meant a boss. How many of you ever had a boss? And some are like, ugh, do I have a boss? Well, Jesus Christ is the boss. He's the Lord. That means he's in charge. It means God is sovereign in control of all things, and he is the one who calls the shots, and you are not, and I am not. Truth be told, many of us would like to call the shots. We would like things to be the way that we want them to be, but when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we are saying, you're the boss, God, and I'm not. I'm going to follow you. And when we follow the, Jesus as Lord and friend and guide, we are called to be filled with the joy of the Lord. So, Father, I pray today that you would guide us deeper into your joy, that you would help us to understand your deliverance from our fears, from our brokenness in relationship, and from our confusion. Thank you that you are a great king, one in whom we can trust. And I thank you that you are a joyful God. Thank you, in Jesus' name. How often do you think of God as joyful? The scripture said he rejoices over you with singing. He quiets you with his love. You know, isn't it amazing that someone would rejoice over you with singing, that they would look at you and that would rejoice over you in song. They would sing a song of delight over who you are. You know, God does that. You know how God is a happy God? Do you know that he's filled with joy for you? Jesus said, I have told you these things that your joy would be full, that you would have the fullness of joy, 
And we know that the angel said to these poor shepherds on this Christmas morning, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So he says, good news of great joy. You know, the Christian faith is a joyful faith. And joy is the central element of Christmas. Do you know we're a singing faith? You know the Christian faith has far more songs than any other religion on the face of the planet? We sing tens of thousands of songs about joy. And in fact, there's so many Christmas songs that if you were to start listening now, you could listen all year round and not repeat one Christmas song. Now some of you are like, please don't do that. (laughs) You're a bah humbug in my opinion. I like singing Christmas songs in July. And people think I'm nuts for doing that. But I love the music of Christmas. Today we're going to look at the Christmas story. You know, the word joy is used eight times in the Christmas story. So if we look at this little Christmas story, we have to understand joy is the major theme of Christmas. Christmas is a party. It's a festival. It's a celebration. It's a birthday. It's not a funeral. Well, some of us treat it like a funeral because you're buying into the consumeristic view on Christmas. And you're feeling a lot of stress this time of the year. You feel a lot of pressure this time of the year. And I tell you, I don't think the fastest growing religion in our country is Christianity. I don't think the fastest growing religion is Islam. I don't think it's Hinduism. I think it's consumerism. And you, you can point me on this. We can have a conversation afterwards if you want, but I'll lay you 10 to 1 that consumerism is a religion. And I'll lay you 10 to 1 that what happens is people place transcendence on objects. They think if they get the right gift or they get the right thing, then it will make their lives better. Some of the the pressure we face this time of year is buying the right gift for someone else, right? And in that is like, well, if I just get them the right thing, maybe they'll love me a little more. Or, Or getting the right gift. You know, oh man, I really hope I get that gift because I do. It will really make my life better. And we give these materialistic things transcendence and we think that somehow they're going to take us through a place of joy. And yet they don't. Because what happens is that that only happiness lasts for a little while. Let me help you make the distinction between happiness and joy this morning. Happiness depends on happenings. Say that after me. Happiness depends on happenings. Because when you are happy, it depends on the circumstance. When something goes your way, then you are happy. Now, this is a new distinction, the distinction between joy and happiness, just in the past couple hundred years. In the Bible, there's no distinction between these two. They mean the same thing. But happiness is when you get something or have a circumstance that actually gives you hope. The problem is those circumstances don't last. The happenings don't last. Joy is a state of mind. It's also a choice. Happiness is based on the externals. It's external circumstances. You have happiness while the circumstances are there, but then it leaves. Joy is an internal character attribute. What happens on the inside. You can be joyful even in the midst of grief and in depressing kind of situations. You still can have joy. Now, happiness is what I felt when I sat down at an amazing Thanksgiving dinner with my family. Anybody enjoy, like, food? Oh, my gosh, it was such good food, good company, good memories, loved it. I was happy. And then the next morning, I got on the scale. And I thought, how in the world can one person gain that much weight in, like, two days? You see, my circumstances quickly changed, and my happiness went with it until I got into the leftovers. And then 
my happiness returned until the leftovers went away. You see, that's happiness. It's based on what's happening around you. But joy is based on what's happening inside of you. You see, if you're in Christ Jesus, the reality is Jesus lives inside of you. And so he's come to make his home in your heart. And that's a beautiful, joyful reality. And then he's doing work in you all the time, which is a beautiful, joyful reality. And that's not based on circumstances. It's based on a person. And his name is Jesus. You see, we often have a problem relying on things to make us happy. But joy is based on the person of Christ. And I want to give you a definition of joy this morning. It's the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of your life. I'm going to stop there for a second. God is sovereign. That means he's in control of all things. Now, I didn't say that he makes all things happen because we know that evil doesn't come from God. But we do know that he's in control of all things. He is sovereign over all. That means that he is in control of every detail of your life. That means that you have a quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. Ultimately, eventually, he will make all things right. Do you believe that this morning? You see, that brings joy. It brings a quiet confidence that ultimately God will put everything right. And it's a determined choice to praise God in all things right now. You see, joy is a choice as well. That's a whole lot different than feeling good. It's a choice. It's it's part of your character as you go in Christ. Joy is a commitment, and God wants you to live a joy-filled life. How many of you want to have more joy in your life? Okay, good. So if you want more joy in your life, you have to trust God in some very specific ways. There's some things that you have to avoid that steal your joy. You see, Many of us know the Lord, and we're in a relationship with him, but we allow certain barriers or roadblocks to rob us of joy. And we're going to look at three today, three specific roadblocks to joy. But none of us feel joy all the time. These barriers prevent us from having joy, and we need to know these barriers so that we can transcend them with the Lord. They are depleters of joy, and they will drain the joy right out of you. They're all in the Bible, by the way. They're all explained there. See, we need to engage in a spiritual battle with the Lord in order to maintain your joy. And if you don't know what you're fighting against, it's hard to fight effectively. So we'll talk about these barriers today. In addition to those three barriers, there's three choices that you must make in order to experience joy in your life. Now, coincidentally, all three of these barriers and all three of these choices are found in this simple story of Christmas. And I'd like to think that God actually placed them there very intentionally for you and I so that we can remember them very easily. Today we're going to look at three characters, Mary, Joseph, and the wise men. And we're going to look at passages from the Gospel of Luke and Matthew. So let's begin, and let's um, let the Lord speak to us through his word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a young virgin named Mary. At that time, Mary was legally engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Suddenly, the angel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, highly favored woman. Now, I want to stop there for a second, and I want you to understand that the words highly favored in that context are only used twice in the New Testament. Only two times. The first time is to refer to Mary. God says through an angel, You are highly favored in God's sight. The second time, the word is about you. 
The word from Ephesians says this, to the praise of his, of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us highly favored. We are highly favored in Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to say in the most regal voice you can muster up, greetings, O highly favored one. Say that, please. Now, some of you said that, and you meant it, okay? But here's the truth. If you're in Christ Jesus... You are highly favored of God. You are a favored son or a favored daughter of the most high God. What happens to highly favored people? It's very important for you to know this. When the favor of God rests on you, the power of God is released through you. I'm going to say that again. When the favor of God rests on you, the power of God is released through you. And that's important for us to understand as we look at these characters and understand our position before God is that the power of God is available to you right now. But he is not someone who's going to use his power in your life according to your will, but only according to his will. So the whole idea is for us to line up our wills with his will. And you got this little precious teenage girl named Mary And the question is, is she willing to let God relieve her anxiety? Now look, anxiety is the number one destroyer of joy. And you have to understand, every single one of us have fears. She had them here. She had a fear. She said here, the Lord is with you, this angel went on to say. Frightened and disturbed by this, Mary wondered what the angel could possibly mean. Don't you think? She's probably 13 or 14, maybe at the best 15 years old. She's a poor little Jewish girl, and this angelic warrior appears to her. Now, just so you get a a flavor of what an angel might look like, one angel in the Old Testament has been known to wipe out thousands of people. This is not some wimpy little Casper ghost type thing. This is an angelic messenger from God. And so... This angel appears, and he says to her, highly favored one, I'm here, and I bring you this news. And she wondered what this possibly could mean, and she's frightened, and she's troubled in her spirit. And he goes on to say, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, you have been chosen by God for his purpose. He goes on to say, you will become pregnant and you will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. The child will be the great king, the son of the most high God. He will sit on David's throne as king forever and his kingdom will never end. Then Mary asked, how is this possible? I have never slept with a man. The angel replied, God's spirit and his creative power will overshadow you, Mary. So your baby will be the holy son of God. It will be a miracle, just as your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, for nothing is impossible with God. Can you repeat that? Nothing is impossible with God. Now Mary responded, listen, very important. I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever it is that he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left her. Now let me 
explain some things. Mary can get a little bit of short notice for us evangelicals. Sometimes we're afraid of talking a lot about Mary because we're afraid that people will think we're overemphasizing her role in the kingdom as other faith traditions may have done. I want to bring some clear theology about Mary. She was a very godly woman, an incredibly godly woman. So her faith is there for us to model. The scripture says we're supposed to imitate the faith of those that have gone before us. If you can imitate Mary's faith, you're on the right track. She was an extremely godly woman, but she was also a sinner. And you need to understand that. Now, how do I know that Mary sinned? How do I know that Mary was a sinner? We know it because the Bible tells us so. The scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person on planet earth except one is guilty of sin. And the one who is sinless is the blameless and spotless Lamb of God. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, and he is the one who came to die for the sins of the world. So this teenage Hebrew poor girl had in her womb the one who would die for her sins as well as everybody else's. But most of us, we look at these little Advent kind of things and we see Mary and Joseph and the little baby and we don't realize just how stressful this must have been for this teenage girl. In the first place, she wasn't old. All the, all the experts say that at most she was 15. More likely she was 13 or 14. She was barely a teenager. People at that time would marry young because they didn't live very long. She wasn't some mature woman in her 30s or 40s. She wasn't even a woman in her 20s. She was a young teenager. And she was called to be part of a virgin birth. Now, don't you think if some angel came and said that to you as a teenager, you would say, what in the world is that? Has anybody here ever had a virgin birth? Yeah, I think we could go and ask that question across the entire planet. Can I tell you something? It never happened before that time. And it has never happened since. But with God, all things are possible. So Mary gets this word that she's going to have a baby, but she's never been with a man. It's a virgin birth. Now look, if you're a 13-year-old girl, how are you going to explain that to your mom? You walk into your mom, uh, hey mom, I got something to tell you. Pregnant. Now by the way, in that culture... At her age, unmarried, betrothed, which was legally contractually obligated to Joseph, that was punishable in a huge way. So, hey, Mom, I'm pregnant. What? Well, was it Joseph? Uh, no, Mom, it wasn't. Somebody, somebody much better. What, what, what do you mean, somebody much better? You, you've been unfaithful to Joseph? Well, no, not really. Let me explain this to you. An angel came to me, and this is God's baby. Do you think your mom's buying that? How about your family? How about your friends? How can you explain this to your fiance? That's called stress. She's single. She's in a little town. And can I tell you, gossip about a single girl in a little town like Shrewsbury travels fast. She was in a little town, and this gossip, I'm sure, traveled very fast about Mary. And, you know, she's then nine months pregnant. Think about the stress moving forward. She's carrying the Son of God. And then she's about three or four days from giving birth, and she's traveling on a donkey for two to three days. Any woman in here who's been pregnant before want to travel by donkey in that last trimester? Anybody want to do that? 
I remember going through that with my wife. Boy, that was a ride. Woo! Then she gets to Bethlehem. There's no place for them. We know she's staying someplace among some animals. We don't know if it's a house or a stable, but we know it's among animals. And that night, this little 13-year-old girl never had a relationship with a man. She's never had a baby before. And she's going to deliver this baby on her own. She doesn't have her mom, her aunts, her sisters, her grandmother, no midwife, no doctor, by herself. This is incredibly anxiety-producing for Mary. It all adds up to stress. That's why in the first story of Christmas, the word afraid is used seven times. And the first thing that an angel says to anybody when they encounter them are those precious words, don't be afraid. Why? Because anxiety will rob you of your joy. You cannot be anxious and joyful at the same time. Now, look, we don't know all the specifics, but we know that Mary could have worried about a lot. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? Is it kids, finances, marriage, your job, your career? I don't know what you worry about, but I can guarantee you this. You worry. Now, some of you go, well, I'm not really afraid of anything. I never worry. We have a word for that and it's called denial. Can you say that after me? <laughs> denial. Now, some of you were thinking of another word, and I didn't go there with you. Your enemy wants to keep you afraid, because if your enemy can keep you afraid, he will effectively steal your joy from you. He wants to keep you consumed with worry, especially during Advent. Why? Because this is a time where we're supposed to be celebrating Jesus. And he wants to consume your heart with worries about finances and materialism and family and all these other things. And our eyes are supposed to be focused on this Christ child because if they are, we will be filled with joy. But see, Satan doesn't want that. He wants you to be afraid. And you know what? He can even do one better if he keeps you unaware of what you're afraid of. You see, if he keeps you deceived into thinking that you're really not afraid or not even knowing what you're afraid of, then he can effectively hurt you more. He can rob you of joy and he can take away your witness for the cause of the king. I'm going to say this little phrase and I want you to say it after me. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Say that. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. When we talk about revealing, the root word, of course, is revelation. And God brings revelation to you and to me. So he shines light into our lives, and he wants to show us what it is we're afraid of. And then when he shows us that, he wants us to know that we have no reason to be afraid of that because we have him in our lives. And when we have him, we then can make a choice to transcend anxiety. The choice that Mary made was this. She chose to trust God and accept his plan. No matter how much hardship came with that plan, Mary said these words, I am your servant, God. Or the handmaiden is the better word, handmaiden. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. May your word be fulfilled in me. She's saying, have your way with me, God. This is a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that she could have chosen not to have said. She could have chosen to actually say, well, why is this happening to me? And why didn't you choose somebody else? And what in the world is going on here anyway? So many of us ask those questions, and can I make the argument in the Old Testament, I have not found a man that was called by God to do a difficult thing that did not argue with God. 
Every single man in the Old Testament argued with God that I can find. At one point at a time, they go, well, I can't really talk very well. Or like, God, don't you want to send somebody else to do this? And you know what Mary says? She doesn't do any of that. She just says, I'm your servant. May it be done unto me as you will. You see, that's what we need to choose. We need to trust God and accept his plan for our lives even when it doesn't fit what we think should happen. Do you think that she wanted this thing to happen to her? Do you think that this was something that she'd even thought about as a teenage girl? No, she, sure she didn't think about this happening to her. And it caused all kinds of turmoil. And yet she says, may it be done unto me as you want. She does ask the question, how though? I think that's a good question. She says, but how is this possible? Like, how is this supposed to happen? And that's a good question for us to ask. I think sometimes when we ask God the question, why? We're looking to pick an argument with God. Why, God? And we're, we want to argue with God, but when we say, how would you like me to do this? Now we're acting as a servant before God. Look, she could have said, excuse me, like, what about this overshadowed stuff? How's that supposed to happen? What's going to happen to my body? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my marriage? She could have been all over the place, and yet she simply said, let it be done unto me as you say. My question to you is, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I mean, really from your heart said to God, God, have your way with me. Can you say that out loud? God, have your way with me. Can I tell you the truth? I say that prayer, and even on my best days, I want to follow that prayer with a big but. God, have your way with me, but don't touch my kids. God, have your way with me, but don't mess with my marriage. God, have your way with me, but don't mess with my finances. God, have your way with me, but don't mess with your church. God, you see, I have all these things I want to fill in. And what would it be if you just turned to God and said, God, have your way with me no matter what? You know when you can say that prayer? When you know how good God is. When you say that prayer, you know how good God is. Can you say this? God is so good. That wasn't very enthusiastic. God is so good. That's a little bit better. God is so good. That's better. You see, when you know God is so good, then you can say, God, have your way. No matter what it means. No matter what I have to sacrifice, no matter what happens to my family, no matter what happens to my life, no matter what happens to my health, no matter what happens to my bank account, God, you have your way in me. Because I live for you, and I don't live for me anymore. You see, that's the message of Christ, is that he sacrificed himself for you. And now, you're to live your life as an offering unto him. And that means you can say this dangerous yet so powerful prayer. God, I trust you. You're sovereign control of my life. So if that means if I have to go through some issue with my health, God, I'm not going to like it. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm going through because I'm trusting you. God, if I've got to go through something hard in my marriage, if I have to confess something to my spouse, if I have to do something, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do because I know you are good. And God, I love you. You see, that's what happened here. Mary was a woman who loved God. And she loved God so much, she said, I'm just but your handmaiden. May it be done unto me 
as you will. She didn't know all the details. She didn't know what was going to come of all this. And yet in Luke 147, she says, my spirit finds its joy in God, my Savior alone. She's saying, God, you're the only place I can go to for joy. She's not saying I find joy in watching TV. But yet so many of us think joy is found in that little box. Not even a box anymore, is it? It's like a little thing. She didn't find her joy in social media. She doesn't find her joy in getting a good Italian dinner, as good as that is. Anybody say amen? But joy is not found there. She says, my spirit finds joy in God, my Savior alone. You see, when we know that, then God starts defeating our anxiety because we put our trust in him and we say, God, your will be done in my life not mine. And we know that God uses every circumstance in our lives to grow us into his image. Well, the first destroyer of our joy is anxiety. The second is also a great destroyer of joy. It's called resentment. How many of you have been hurt? I know if you didn't raise your hand, you still have been hurt. Everybody's been hurt here on planet Earth. And when you've been hurt, you have a temptation to fall into resentment. When you get hurt, you can get actually self-protective, and then you can start actually wrapping layers of self-protective strategies around yourself. And then you start labeling people in your heart and your mind as unsafe, and you have to keep your distance from them, but not only that, you're judging them in their heart. You've nursed your wounds, and now you live like this around some people. I am really taken by Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was legally betrothed to be married to Joseph. That was a legal contract. I'm sure Joseph was like, oh my gosh, I get this hot babe named Mary. But while she was still a virgin, they had not come together. They had not been sexually intimate. She became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph was a godly man who always did what was right, and he did not want to shame Mary or expose her to public disgrace. So he planned on quietly divorcing her. After deciding this, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, the baby that Mary is carrying really is from God, from the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and take her and marry her. Do not be afraid. And when the baby is born, give him the name Jesus, because he will save your people from their sins. Now look, do you think this dude had any opportunity to become resentful? I mean, resentment robs us of joy. I've, I've often described it as the acid, which destroys the person on which it's poured, as well as the container in which it's stored. Resentment is not protecting you. It is robbing you of joy. But look, if you're anything like me, and I know you are because I've talked to enough of you, resentment comes to you very easily. It's when you nurture a wound, and you kind of fester this, this wound's festering, but you you posture your heart against people rather than for people. You don't see them the way that God sees them anymore. You've been wounded by words. You've been wounded physically, some of you. Some of you have been abused sexually, and some of you have been abused emotionally. The world is a broken planet. Anybody say amen to that? Life is not fair. God never said it would be fair. The world is filled with what the Bible calls sin. And our rebellion against God causes us to hurt other people, and we hurt each other sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We've all been hurt. And as a result, we have these wounds. Some of us have been offended deeply, racial offenses, prejudice, bigotry. Some of us have been betrayed. 
Some of us have been rejected in a, in a way that's very, very harmful. Regardless of how you've been hurt, your challenge is to deal with your pain the way that God wants you to deal with your pain. Not the way that you choose to deal with your pain. I've said these words before, but say them after me. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. And you get to choose how miserable you will become. In large part, determined on how you deal with your pain. Billions of people choose bitterness over joy. They do. I've seen it with people in my own life. I've seen it in my own struggle. And what about in this Christmas story? Have you ever considered how wounded Joseph was when he got this news? I mean, you've got to understand, ladies, let me help you understand the heart of a man. Like, the heart of a man is that deep in our hearts, we want to be significant. We want to be significantly used by God. We want to make a difference in the lives of other people. Respect is very, very important to a man. And I can tell you that every man is wired in his heart of hearts to actually have a bride, to love a woman well, and to have that woman show him respect. That's very important. So can I tell you that if anybody even looks the wrong way at my wife, I'm ready to open up a can of you-know-what. Because I love my wife. She's my wife. She's nobody else's wife. She's my bride. And nobody even gets to call her Sparky. That's, that's what I call her, Sparky. Nobody else calls Tracy Sparky. You call her Sparky, you're in for something. But she's my wife. And I have a good godly jealousy around my wife. For God is a jealous God. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to um, somehow give you approval if you're exposing jealousy in the wrong way. Jealousy can take on a form that's horribly destructive. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is deep in the heart of this man anyway, I want to protect my bride. And the thought of her ever being with another man makes me want to, oh, I cannot even tell you what it makes me want to do. Anybody with me? Gentlemen, are you with me? Gentlemen! All right, good. A little bit of stuff in here, a little testosterone left in the room. So Joseph, this dude who's in the primal life, he's known probably well in his community as a carpenter, but he's looking on this woman who's going to be his bride. And his heart is filled with hope to, to have impact in her life and to love her well and to care for her well and to be her dude. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine what happened when she came to him? Uh, honey, I, I got something to tell you. Oh, what is it, dear? Uh, pregnant. What? Uh, yeah, but you don't know it all. Let me, let me tell you. Angel came to me. Angel came to me, and I'm pregnant, and it's God's child. Can you imagine what this dude was feeling? Rejected wouldn't even begin. Betrayed would not even begin to describe what he is feeling. Deceived? I'm sure he's feeling all of these things. And yet the scripture says that he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't get vengeful and he doesn't get resentful. You know what the scripture says? He hurt and then he resolved not to actually put her in disgraceful situations. Can I tell you something? That is love. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Do you get this? He was hurt but he chose to let go of the hurt and to offer grace. 
Now, I need to put a caveat on this because I know some of, what, some of what you're thinking here. This story gives us both the heart of God in showing grace and the heart of God in maintaining boundaries. What it means is when somebody hurts you, you have a decision to make. Now, many of us think our hurts are way too big and they're really not. Others of us have really big hurts and we minimize them and we don't understand the nature of them. I've told you before, but the very first woman that I counseled some 30 years ago was getting hit in the head by a hammer from her husband almost weekly. This guy was hitting her in the head with a blunt instrument and she was going to the emergency room regularly And her pastor was telling her she needed to stay in the marriage and in the home. And that she needed to submit to her husband. Can I tell you something? That is a message from the pit of hell. So look, Joseph resolved quietly in his heart to divorce her. You see, he said, I I, I want to love her, I do love her, I don't want to publicly disgrace her, I want to protect her image, I don't want her to go through all this horrible things she would go through in our culture. I'm going to protect her from that, but I'm moving on. This is just too much for me to take, this is too much pain for me. And you know what? God saw that. He saw his heart, he saw his heart, and because he didn't become bitter, God blessed him. He blessed him with a visitation from God. You see, God came to him and he spoke to him just like he will come to you. Now, you know, well, wait a second. I, I haven't seen any angels of late. The question is, are you really looking? Are you really looking? Because they're in the room now. Well, you seen angels, Jeff? No, I'm not seeing them, but I know they're here. And I know this. God speaks to me very, very clearly. I just need to listen. You see, God will come to you and he will give you a word. But can I tell you, God did not set up Joseph for resolve. He set up Joseph for pain. Why? He did this intentionally. Now, let me tell you something. He could have come to Mary and Joseph at the same time, don't you think? Don't you think he could have set that angel and said, hey, let's arrange an appointment with Joseph and Mary, and I'll just roll it out to both of them at the same time. Hey, guys, Joseph, hold on to your seat. This is going to be a hard one, pal. But here's what's going to happen. She's going to have a baby and it's not going to be yours. But, stop, it's going to be the Holy Spirit's. And he could have revealed all of this to both of them, so Joseph would have had the same experience Mary did, and they could have gone through it together. But guess what? God chose intentionally not to do that. Joseph has to go through all this agony, thinking that his fiancée has been unfaithful to him. What is God doing here? Listen very carefully. He is testing Joseph's character. And every time you get hurt, I'm not saying it comes from God, but I'm telling you that God will use it to test your character. You see, he's going to say, what's he going to do with his pain now? What's she going to do with her pain now? Does she have enough of my heart to respond compassionately? Does he have enough of my heart to be forgiving? Will he be loving? Will he be a good and godly man? Or is he going to try and get even? Will he get filled with resentment and bitterness? Or will he turn to me and trust me to actually show grace and let the pain go? I don't know about you, but letting pain go is not an easy thing for me. Matter of fact, it's impossible apart from God in my life. But can I tell you what happens when I let go of pain that's been inflicted on me? When I, when I hear somebody's out there talking about Pastor Jeff or I, I get something else coming my way or I've been hurt in a number of ways, you know what happens when I let go of the pain? 
And I got to say, God, if not for the grace of God, there go I. God, I forgive them. Or when I look at them and I just say, hey, I forgive you, 100% forgive you. I had the opportunity to forgive a couple people this week. You know what's awesome when you forgive people? You are being just like Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity this week for two people came to me and said, like, I just need to apologize. Will you please forgive me? And I went, absolutely, 100% done complete. I'm not going to hold it against you at all. You know the freedom? You know the freedom when you don't hold stuff against people? Oh, my gosh, joy rushes into your soul. Why? Because you are showing people the very image of God. Some of us hold on to this stuff. My mom, God bless her, she was a godly woman, but she struggled like so many of us do here on planet Earth. And I remember every once in a while, she would just erupt in kind of a rage. And she'd go, I remember when your Aunt Betty 25 years ago. And I'm like, 25 years ago? Can't you find something more recent than that? Like, what's going on? But you laugh and we laugh, but it's us. We hold on to this stuff. Let it go, man. And I promise not to sing that song from Frozen. I promise <laughs> not to do that. All right, I'll do it. Let it go. No, I won't. He didn't get angry. He didn't get mean. He didn't become controlling. He didn't accuse her of things. He trusted God. And God came to him and blessed him. I think his blessing came because he chose not to become bitter. Let me help you understand something. Anger... Anger is most often a secondary emotion. How many of you struggle with anger? Yeah, like, I struggle with anger. Now, I'm not a guy that throws stuff. I'm not a guy that calls people's names. I'm not, not, not at least out loud. But in here, whoo yeah, you're right, I do. You know, anger has its roots in other emotions. Every fruit has a root. So you're bearing fruit in your life. The question is, is it good fruit or rotten fruit? Is it godly fruit or is it like sat satanic fruit? I mean, that's their choices. And if you handle, handle your anger inappropriately, the scripture says God, man's anger does not bring about the godly life that God requires. So if you're acting out of your anger, you have to understand there's some roots to that fruit, man. And you can handle your anger inappropriately. Like, so there's two categories. There's the dumpers and there's the stuffers. Now, if you're a dumper, you're the aggressor. You're like, I just have to share my heart with you. No, you don't. No, you don't. I have to be honest with you. No, you don't. Just shut up. You don't have to do that. But see, what you do is then you dump, and you dump all this anger out, and you hurt people in your anger. I was known as a dumper for quite some time. By the grace of God, I'm not known that way anymore. You see, I was a stuffer growing up. Then I became a dumper, and I thought that was liberation. And it wasn't at all. It wasn't God's way. You see, the stuffers... They get angry, they get resentful, but they stuff it all down. And they, and they try and look really good on the outside. Oh, I don't get angry. Oh, yes, you do. What happens is you stuff it down, and then it comes out sideways. That's called passive-aggressive. How many people like a passive-aggressive person? That's beautiful, isn't it? See what I just did there? That's called sarcasm. And sarcasm is a passive-aggressive way of dealing with your anger, and it hurts people. You know, passive-aggressive people will, like, oh, you know, I, I didn't really mean to leave the car running all that time. I didn't really mean to leave the lights on all night. Like, they do all kinds of things that they know will bother you because they're not, like, forthright enough to go for the kind of direct attack that the aggressors do. And both are 
hurtful. The scripture says you're supposed to fully acknowledge your pain and anger to God. But you're only supposed to acknowledge it partially and according to God's will for that person's life. Listen to this word very carefully. Speak only that which is good for edification, that it may grant grace to those who hear. You see, we're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to angry and slow to speak. For anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Can I tell you what's under anger most of the time? Either fear, guilt, shame, hurt, and helplessness. These are five roots that are like kind of foundational emotions. How many of you can get angry on the road? Okay, so I am driving late to appointments and to work with somewhat regularity. I'll just say that I can be a guy who's a little bit in a hurry. Anybody with me? Okay, a few. Anyway, I'm not alone. Praise God, right? So God has this way of humbling me every time I'm late. He puts a person in front of me who I can barely see their head above the headrest, and the steering wheel's like this. And they're driving like 15 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. And I'm behind them, and I'm like, please, Lord, help me. Please, Lord, help me. And then all of a sudden, it just abrupts, and I get angry, and I'm like, just get out of my way. Don't you know I need to be somewhere? Don't you know how important I am? See what it's coming back to? It's all about me. And I get filled with anger. Why? Because I'm feeling helpless. I can't get this person out from in front of me. And I'm going to be late. And you know what's going to happen when I'm late? People are going to think poorly of me. You know what that's called? Fear of man. You see, I want to maintain an image to other people that I can't be late to a meeting. I mean, my gosh, if I'm late to the meeting, I'm the lead pastor for crying out loud. Well, it's okay for me to be late to a meeting. Not okay for me to be late to every meeting. But the truth of the matter is, I'm more concerned about what other people are thinking of me. So what's that? That's fear. I have fear and helplessness, and they're manifesting themselves in anger. See, on my best days, I can say, God, I'm feeling helpless right now, but I trust you. Sometimes I wonder if he puts that old granny in front of me to keep me, something bad happening down the road. He puts that wonderful little woman who I want to run off the road. He puts her in front of me to slow me down. He's testing my character, man. He's helping me to understand that I can trust him in all things. It's something little like that for crying out loud. But i got to offer grace and i got to let it go. Let me ask you a question. Who has hurt you deeply? Can I ask you a question? What person in your life has hurt you the most? Some of you just immediately know. It came to mind just like that. Do you want to hurt him back? Still hanging on to the hurt? I can guarantee if you are, that's one of the reasons you're not experiencing more joy. So you're holding on to resentment. And your heart is hardened. Oh, my heart's not really hardened. by. I mean, I don't talk to them at all. I avoid them. But my heart's not hardened towards them. Yeah, it is. You see, you've lost your joy because you've chose resentment. And you can't have both. You know, it seems like in every message preparation, I have opportunity to apply in my own life the very things I'm talking about. So this week, I found in my preparation that I was resentful towards one of the members of my family. I don't say that with pride. I hate that about me. My heart had been hardened towards one of my own family members. And so I had a choice. 
If the offense is small enough for me to overlook, I'll just overlook it and forgive it and trust God to let it go. But this offense was repeated, and I felt offended. But my first thing wasn't to talk about their offense, but my own. You know why? Because I was sure that they had known I was resentful towards them. You know what? When you're resentful towards somebody, they know it. They know it. They may not even be able to say it, but they feel your coldness. They feel your harshness of heart towards them. They know your heart's not soft towards them. They know that you're not wanting the best for them. They get it. So I had an appointment to make, and I went to this member of my family, and the first thing I said is what I'd encourage you to do if you're holding on to resentment. You go to that person you're resenting, and you say these words. I have a confession to make. I've been resenting you, and I'm, most, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I should have come to you a long time ago, and I didn't because I was afraid. Please forgive me for having a hardened heart towards you. And see, God's taught me to do this, and I, I don't want to sign up for that kind of stuff, but this is the pathway to joy, my friends. By humbling yourself before God and by living a humble life before others. Can I tell you something? If you've been resenting somebody for a while and you go to them and you do that, it's going to knock their socks off. God is going to use your humility to show them his heart. I don't do it for that reason. I did it was real. I did it because it was honest. And this member said, my gosh, I, I absolutely forgive you. What's going on? Why, why were you resentful? And I said, well, I'd like to talk about that, but thank you so much for forgiving me. And then I was able to talk about what was bothering me. And once they listened, they thought for a minute and they went, you know what? You're absolutely right. I did do those things, and I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And angels in heaven were rejoicing. Why? Because sinners were repenting. You understand, this is the way you're supposed to call to live life with other people. Now, if this person had not owned their stuff, my position would remain the same. Forgiveness and grace. I did my part, then I let go. Okay? God will guide us in relationships, but i got to be honest with you, so much of us need to do this work. For when you have the favor of God, when the favor of God rests on you, the power of God works through you. And it's totally up to you how you trust God with your heart. You see, you can, like Mary, choose the path of trusting him and following his plan for your life. You can choose the path of Joseph to show grace and let your pain go. Some of you are going, Jeff, I just can't do that. You're absolutely right. You can't. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need Jesus Christ, because he is the power that you need. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God will give you strength. The last destroyer of joy I want to talk about is this one, confusion. How many of you have ever been confused? How many of you are currently confused? When you're confused about the trajectory of your life, the joy can just drain out of you. And can I tell you, like, God is clear about the path for all of our lives. It's just so many of us don't really seek to follow that path, find the path and follow the path. But you're confused and the joy goes out of your life. Look, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. And I consider it a deep honor to act as a life coach for you and to share some things with you on Sundays and other times. But I've talked to thousands of people. Can I tell you the number one question that I get from people is this? What am I supposed to do? Jeff, what am I supposed to do? What, what is the trajectory of my life? What are the steps I'm supposed to take? I'm confused. I don't know what to do about this situation. And can I tell you, at Christmas, 
almost everybody was confused. At the first Christmas, the only people that weren't confused, they weren't people, they were angels. They knew what was going on. Mary was confused. She didn't know what was going on. Joseph was certainly confused. He had no clue what was going on. The shepherds were confused. They don't know what's going on. The wise men were confused to some extent because they didn't know exactly where this child was. And King Herod was majorly confused. It says, in all of Jerusalem with him. The wise men, in their confusion, didn't know what direction to take. You know, they stopped by and they hung out with Herod in his palace and they said, hey, where is this one who is born king of the Jews? And that really ramped up Herod because he wanted to be the only king. How about you? You want to be king of your own castle? Or do you want to let Jesus be your Lord? But see, these guys were seekers. They wanted to find him. And we know that they walked probably 800 miles. 800 miles. Some of you are like, oh, I have to walk a mile? That's part of our problem. These guys, to find out what God was doing, were willing to walk 800 miles. You see, something was going on, and they wanted to encounter God in this way, and so they walked one step at a time, and in the midst of their confusion, they made a choice. They chose to follow God's light one step at a time over a long road that led them to Jesus. Now, they were confused at times. Here it says, they were, um, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the king of time of King, Judah, uh, king Herod, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have followed it here, seeking to find and worship him. Now, Herod, the king of Jerusalem, was deeply upset and bothered by their search, and so was most of Jerusalem as well. Can I tell you something? Wise people today, still seek Jesus Christ. You see, they're looking for more than what they're experiencing. And they're trying to find out what life really means. And can I tell you something? God will provide lights in your life. You see, he gave them a star, and when the light moved, they moved. And when the light stopped, they stopped, and they kept moving and following the light. They followed the light that God was giving them, and they were doing it in faith. They didn't wait to understand all the details. They just started out on the journey, and they took one step at a time. By the way, if you're going to truly and earnestly seek God, I have a little warning for you. It's going to upset some people. Jesus has a way of upsetting some people. He upset Herod greatly. He upset the religious leaders of that time greatly. And if you're going to become very earnest in seeking Jesus Christ, it's going to upset some people around you. There are people around you who are not going to like the changes. Can I tell you that Jesus upsets political structures? Do we not need Jesus to upset our current political structure? Anybody say amen to that? But see, God made you to love you. And when you let him lead you, he gives you one step at a time. He didn't give them a map, and he will never give you a map. Now, everybody wants a map. How many people want a map? Don't you want to know where it starts and how it stops and how it ends? God, can you just give me the map and spell out every detail along the way, and then I will follow you? Well, can I tell you something? He will never give you that. You know why? The first reason is because it will scare you spitless. You'll be so scared you won't even be able to spit. You're going to be that scared. You'll look at things and you go, I don't want to go through that. 
I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that. So God, in his grace, is saying, I'm not going to show you everything because you couldn't take it. Just trust me to follow me as your light one step at a time. He won't give you a map for a second reason. You wouldn't trust him. You see, what you do is you say, I got it from here, God. I got the whole map. I'll do this. And he's like, no. And angels in heaven are screaming, no. You're desperate for God. But you know what he does give you is a compass. How many ever had a compass? I wish I had one today. I saw one really nice one this week. As a kid, I loved compasses, you know, how it always pointed one way. And you got an orienteering says you have to go a particular way and use your compass to guide you. God has given you a compass. And where did it go? Did I bring my Bible out with me? Somebody got a Bible? Thank you. Thank you for lending me your compass. This is a compass. It's the Word of God. See, when you know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God. I can tell you before I knew Christ, I tried to open this thing up, and I would read it, and I'm like, what the heck? I mean, nowhere did I, I poke, I did the poke method. You know, I'd go, who wrote this? Why is this supposed to help me? Before I had the Holy Spirit. When I got the Holy Spirit, man, I'd open this thing and I'm like, what changed? I got the Spirit of God now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's speaking to me. Now, by the way, I still don't understand everything in here. I'd be lying to you if I told you that. But I can tell you this, that God speaks to you through his word. And his word is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. So if you're wondering and you're confused in life and you don't know which way you're going, can I encourage you, first of all, to trust Jesus and open his word? It's amazing what he will say to you. I can tell you the number of times that I have been confused. Thank you, dear sister, very much. The number of times that I have been confused and I go to God in his word and I seek him on my knees and I search his word. I'm not talking about just opening and poking. I'm talking about searching his word prayerfully over time. He reveals something to me and it's exactly what I need to take the next right step. Some of you are not experiencing joy because you're staying confused and you're not going to God to ask him what the next right step is in your life. Now, here's another truth. Some of you know what that step is and you're not willing to take it. If you're here now and you know what God wants you to do, can I tell you, trust him. Trust him. And take the step. I know that it may be hard, and I can't tell you I know what's going to happen on the other side, but I can tell you this. When you're obedient to Jesus Christ, you will experience the joy of the Lord. Because he will give you a quiet confidence. You see, these guys, they followed that star until it led them to Jesus. They entered the place and saw the child and his mother Mary. What was their response? They were overwhelmed with joy, the scripture says, and they worshiped him and they gave him these gifts. They finally met Jesus. They were overwhelmed with joy. Some of you have lost your joy because you're filled with anxiety and worry. Some of you have lost your joy because you're consumed with resentments. Others of you have just so confused, you, you have no joy. God is here now. And he's saying, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you joy. See, we need to learn from him. 
what it means to trust him with our fears, with our hurts, and with our confusion. And he is the one that will restore unto us the joy of our salvation. I'm going to ask you to say a little prayer with me today. Some of you in the room may not have a relationship with Jesus. I think you're not here by accident. I think God put you here purposefully. I think he wants you to know just how much he loves you. He loves you so much. And he longs for you to be a member of his family. Well, what do I need to do? All you need to do is believe and receive. Well, I don't need to dance harder. I don't need to work harder. I don't need to be a better Christian. No, because nobody ever gets to God that way. It's only by grace through faith that you would be saved. So you can settle this business with God right now, right here, by actually inviting him to live in your heart. It's that simple, Jeff. Yes, it's that simple. For those of us who are in the faith, I have a simple prayer for you to say. David said it years ago. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Can you say that? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. For some of us in the body of Christ are living consumed with fear, consumed with resentment, and consumed with confusion. And God says, stop. Follow me. I will restore to you the joy that is rightfully yours as my child. Let's pray together. You'd say these words in the quietness of your own heart after me. You can say other words if you want. God knows it all. He understands it all. Just talk to him. God, I don't want to live a joyless life. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to let anxiety and hurt and resentment confusion steal away my joy this Christmas God right now I need help from heaven thank you for sending Jesus to be my savior I don't understand it all God but Jesus Christ I accept your death on the cross as payment for my sins. And I ask that you would forgive me and that you would come and make my heart your home. Jesus, make me the person you intended me to be. Lord Jesus Christ, I commit this body to you now. I pray that this Advent would be not another season of busyness and anxiety, broken relationships and confusion. God, I pray now that we would seize the opportunity set before us not to be like the culture, but to be set apart for your glory. Help us, Lord Jesus, to trust you in such a way that we are delivered from our fears we are released from our resentments. God, that you bring clarity into our confused worlds. We thank you that you are a faithful king. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, 
If you said a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your heart for the first time today, can I congratulate you and tell you you just passed from death to life and you're now going to live with God forever. Can we hear like a celebration over that? If you're here today and you don't have a church home, we would love to be that for you. There are so many ways you can get connected here at Grace. I would encourage you to stop out there and talk to some folks and ask them about getting involved in a house church or getting involved in the community here at Grace in some way so we can help nurture you in your walk with Jesus. Let's stand together and close our time with one final song. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward during this time. And if you're here today and you need to be delivered from anxiety, resentment, confusion, whatever it is in your life, these folks would love to pray with you. Please allow them the honor of praying with you today. God bless you.